How are you guys? <laughs> All right, four people. Um, man, I, uh, I love that. I love worshiping with you guys. I, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Hey, uh, I'm Ben, by the way. If uh, you're new, welcome. I work here and I uh, love that you guys are here and excited about what God is going to do, what I believe God is going to do tonight. Um, we are in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians and we're finishing chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in verses 14 through 21. So if you've got your Bibles, find Ephesians 14, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Or we'll throw them up on the screen for you too, uh, if that's just easier and less distracting for you. Um, Tonight, these verses that we're going to be in, um, to understand the greatness of these verses, I just want us to kind of see where we're at in the book and kind of really unpack the big picture of of where we're at. Tonight's sermon, uh, the the passages here in verses 14 through 21, are really a turning point in the book of Ephesians. So the first three chapters, what we've seen is we've seen unbelievable stuff. We've seen the Apostle Paul really speak this gospel truth over these people that he, he loves, he loves the church in Ephesus. He loves these people. He planted this church. He, he cares about this church. Uh, he lived with these people. They served him. They kept him alive. Um, they, they still partner with him. And so what we have is we have the first couple of chapters. The first chapter, Paul telling these people that he loves, reminding them of this truth of how they have been adopted. Right? They've been chosen and adopted into the family of God, and they're, they're now co- co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And then we see, continuing throughout these chapters, how this kind of gospel truth turns into the reminder that we were all dead, and now we've been made alive, and then how that should bring unity. And then, and then we get to the end of this chapter, uh, three, and it really kind of ends this thought for him. In fact, he ends this last verse that we're going to preach in verse 21 with the word amen, because the first three chapters of Ephesians is really a, a big thought of how big the gospel is and the implications of the identity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that affects our identity, how the gospel affects our identity, which we're going to unpack all, the, all that stuff here in a second. And so it's this incredible thing. And then what's going to happen next week is it is going to take a, a sharp turn into really unbelievable application of that. Uh, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, we're really going to dive into. Then we're going to start seeing some real tangible application. We're going to talk in, uh, in chapter 5, we're going to talk about all relationships and marriage and what that should look like and what relationships towards that should look like. We're going to talk about more unity and what that looks like and how we find um, ground to, to meet that and what holiness specifically looks like, all based on the soil that he's planted in the first three chapters, uh, which, which we're wrapping up here tonight. So let's jump in. Um, let's jump in. I, I hope, I think this sermon is going to be a quick one because I want us to have lots and lots of time to respond to this at the end. So here we go. Verse 14, verse 14, Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. Hang on. I noticed this today. He bows his knees before the father. Coincidence that this week, right? This week and all that's happening in the NFL We just happen to be reading verse 15 where Paul kneels, takes a knee before God. Coincidence? I think not. No, it's probably a coincidence. But still, if Fox News found out about this verse, we would be screwed, man. Paul would be in so much trouble if Fox News found out that he's kneeling. Anyway, let me move on. I digress. Okay. Uh, Okay, here we go. (laughs) We're going to have fun tonight. Here we go. Ready? Sorry. Hey, will you guys calm down, too, a little bit on that and social media? My social media is flooded with that, and I get on Facebook to see puppies 
and to see pictures of people's quiet times. And I can't see any of those things because of your disdain for people kneeling. So just calm down, and if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian in the room, then just watch your posture on that stuff, all right? The flag, the, I love this country, but the flag of the United States is not worthy to be worshiped. And we don't want to confuse the world around us in putting our passions where they are. So, man, make good arguments, speak into it, be a part of the culture, but seriously watch your culture and stay off of Facebook so I can see my puppies and fail videos also. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Sorry, rabbit trail. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, stop right there. So what we have is Paul setting up this, this kind of ongoing prayer throughout this chapter, but specifically here, he is, he is representing, it's actually really significant that he's bowing his knees before God because the context here is you didn't bow before. You didn't, you didn't go to your knees in prayer in the Jewish context. You stood in prayer. When it was time to pray, everyone stood up in the Jewish synagogue, and he is humbling himself under God, going, this is dramatic plea before God for the Ephesians that he loves. This is his prayer. Uh, it, it is incredibly important what, he, what he's about to talk about. And, and then this is what Paul is hoping for. So he's setting it up, humbling himself, this awesome God coming before him. This is what Paul hopes happens for his people. And for us this evening, this is what we are going to lean into the entire time, these next three verses, almost the entire time, to say, man, is this happening in my life? Is this the prayer in my life? Here's the crux of his prayer, verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's look at this. This is a smorgasbord of figurative language that Paul is using in these three verses that he is passionately in this prayer trying to communicate. Uh, he's trying to communicate the dimensions of this, of this in-depth love of Christ. And so he's using all, all this language like Christ dwelling in your heart. Right, right off the bat, he says, Christ dwelling in your heart. This idea that Paul is establishing is, man, my prayer is first and foremost that Christ is indwelling in your heart, which, um, which a lot of us, I think, sometimes take out of context. But what he's talking about in the New Testament when he says that is that our life is centered, right? That our life is centered around Christ, that our, our very hearts have been given to Christ and everything now revolves around him. He is, is the source. He is the center there. And then he uses these words like rooted and grounded in love. So he's asking God for his people to say, God, would you root, would you ground them in love? And what he's doing, and what the picture is that I want you to see of Paul doing is, is, is literally just praying that, that they would have roots that would go deep, that they would be bracing themselves for really the truth that God, that he's asking God to hit him with, to hit these people he loves with. God, brace them. Would you just root them and ground them because of what I'm about to... So he's saying, Lord, brace them because what's a, what I'm really about to ask, what's really about to happen, needs, requires them to be braced for this. And then even right after that, he says, strengthened to comprehend, right? That may have, to, may have strengthened to comprehend with all the saints, 
right? So again, he's saying, man, would you root them? Would you ground them? Would you lock their legs in? Would you strengthen them to comprehend? What Paul's saying right in those first verse and a half is he's saying, God, what I'm asking for, for these people I love, first, would they, be, would they have their lives centered on you? And secondly, God, what I'm asking for, would you just brace them? Brace them for what I'm asking for you to reveal them, reveal to them. Why? Why do they need to brace themselves? What is he about to ask that they need to break, that they need to be rooted, that they need to, that they need to be strengthened so that they could comprehend? Here it is, verse 18. Brace yourself for the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ. These few verses here that, that we're going to unpack tonight, and then we're going to worship, and we're going to respond, and we're going to fall before God, and we're going to beg God, please do this work. Please do this work in our life. Continue this work in our life. <clears throat> they are Paul asking before God, please, would they understand? Would they get a glimpse? Would they be rooted and braced to experience the love of Christ? The love of Christ is what he's asking for. The love of Christ. Embrace them and allow them to comprehend this love that's un, that, that, is be, that surpasses knowledge, this love of Christ. The implications of the love of Christ, the implications of this prayer is that this changes everything. The implications throughout the New Testament, throughout the book of Ephesians, is that this love and understanding the dimensions of it, the breadth and height and weight and depth and length of this, changes everything. It, it should change my life, understanding it more and more should produce change and transformation in my life. Believer in this room, has that become stale? If, if you hear that, oh, what's been preaching on tonight? Oh, it's preaching on the love of Christ. And has that become stale in our culture? Yeah, love, Jesus loves me. I know I learned that song when I was little. Has, has the love of Christ been something, become something that's become white noise, that's become stale? So much of Ephesians, so much of the first few chapters is Paul pleading, overwhelm them. Brace them for this depth of the love of Christ. Has that become stale in our life? Do I need to pray for bracing in my life for this? Am I moved by the love of Christ um, 2 Corinthians 5.14, we, we see also Paul talking to a totally different church about the idea that the love of Christ compels us. The, it's the love of Christ that compels, that moves us forward, that produces change, that produces growth in our life. Man, corporately, um, I, I think this is something that we struggle with as a church. Uh, I think individually I wrestle with, man, do I really, am I really overwhelmed by the love of Christ in a way that's transforming my life? Or is it just the little song I sang when I was a kid, Jesus Loves Me, and yeah, now give me nine steps for healthy living or five ways to find a godly wife or, you know, I've moved on to other things. And I think, I think when we go and we preach expositionally through the Bible, we remind it, ah, oh, man, this is the core of everything. Everything else roots from this. And I think corporately, I don't know how great we're doing. I think that's why people in the world around us aren't starving to get into churches, because I, I wonder how much are we compelled by Christ, even corporately, man? Is this a place? And man, our prayer, our prayer constantly is, Lord, make this a community that is that. It, it, make this a, a light in this place. And I hope and pray it has been. I don't think we always are. I don't think, I know myself, I'm not always that way. And so a community outside of us looking in saying, what's the deal with the church? 
What, what are they mad about now? What are they, uh, what is, what's the deal with the church? And looking in to a group of people that are we moved by the love of Christ, where the culture would want to lean in and say, man, what is that? What is compelling them? What is that? That's love. That's not, that's not religion. That's not uh, religious affiliation or politics or, or just the way they were born or their upbringing or tradition. There's something there. And Paul clearly says in this, it's the love of Christ. It's what's going to affect the change and the transformation. So, so what is it? Right? Let, let's move quickly. What is the love of Christ? 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he, referring to Jesus, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Um, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The love of Christ is seen ultimately through the gospel. Right? It's ultimately seen through the death of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we refer to in this buzzword as the gospel. And so tonight, really the challenge of the Holy Spirit right, is to say, okay, let's preach the word, let's hold this up, let's look at the love of Christ, let's wonder why we're not more moved by it, and let's beg for our life to be more challenged by the historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. The historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, I believe my God became flesh and humbled himself and walked this earth and lived a perfect life and lived a worthy life and then sacrificed himself on a cross. The Father laid the Son on the cross to die to put all of the wrath that I belong, that belongs on me, that belongs on you, on Jesus Christ and the death and then burial and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and then we see how that's played out because then what happens with that gospel, what happens with that gospel is then, then we have this adoption, right? We have this in chapter one, Ephesians, this adoption. We've been brought into the family. We've been chosen, right? We've been chosen in uh, chapter one, verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Right? So then we get this ad adoption into his family because of the gospel. What does that mean? It means we were once far off. Josh mentioned it, I think, in his prayer at the very beginning of this service. We were once far off. We deserved to be far off. We deserved to be separated. And yet God, through Christ, called us into him. What are the implications of that, ad um, that adoption? Everything. But first, I want to tackle two hurdles. We're going to go quick. I'm going to tackle a couple of hurdles, and then we're just going to talk about, man, what are some applications? Let's get real tangible on the gospel and how it should transform us. The first hurdle is um, maybe if we don't know if we're chosen, right? I have, I've wondered this, right? We, we see in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, this idea that, man, those who are chosen were then brought into the family. And so I think that if you're a critical thinker, if you're, um, if you're logical or thoughtful or kind of paying attention, then I think at some point you'd say, well, gosh, am I chosen? Like, how do, I know if, how do I know if I'm chosen in this? Um, great question. Um, here's how you know. Great question. Uh, relatively simple answer. <clears throat> you know you're chosen if you believe. If you believe in him. If you have faith and if you believe in him, then you know you're chosen. Those who are without Christ are blind to salvation. So even the fact that you might be aware or worried about, wait, am I chosen? Am I not chosen? Even that spiritual sensitivity 
means that you have eyes to see. And so then it's a choice of whether or not you have stepped into the gospel that you are seeing and wondering and looking at. There's a similar conflict that happens in the New Testament when, when uh, it's mentioned about this, uh, this sin that's the sin of all, kind of this, this perfect blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And there is no return from the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And if you blasphemy the Holy Spirit, then that is the unforgivable sin. Right? And so I wrestle with people before who are like, well, man, what if I accidentally blasphemy the Holy Spirit? It's the unforgivable sin. So if I accidentally blasphemy the Holy Spirit, that would stink. What if I... The very thought of that question implies, because what blasphemy the Holy Spirit is, is a life that has said, no, I reject who Christ is. It's saying the Holy Spirit's role is to point to Christ, to say Christ is who he, is who he says he is. And so the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that's referred to there is the idea of saying, no, no, he's not. And so if you're worried about that, if you're worried about if you're chosen, if you're worried about if you've gone too far, that sensitivity means you have eyes to hear. It doesn't necessarily mean that you put your faith in Christ. That's still on the table for you, but it means that you were chosen and that right there before you is the bread to eat, the bread of God's grace. Step forward and take it. Um, and, that's, and that's hard, right? And so even tonight, if you're in this room and tonight, you're like, man, I don't know that I've ever really done that. I don't know that I've ever stepped into that. Tonight is a place to say, okay, I am hearing the word of God. I'm hearing the gospel. I'm hearing that the death of Jesus was for me and that he is inviting me to surrender my life to him, to accept that he is who he said he was, that he is the Christ, he is the Savior, um, and step into that. And for those who maybe are still struggling or maybe they've done that and they've been saved once and for all, uh, it's an opportunity to keep walking and that, to keep journeying that. And that's hard. And, and let me say also one little more rabbit trail on this. Um, doubts happen. Doubts happen. And, and if every time we see doubts, we think, oh, man, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not chosen. I just want to encourage you. First of all, you're not crazy and you're not alone. Um, I went, uh, after I graduated high school, uh, I actually moved to Moscow, Russia, to be a missionary in Moscow, Russia as an 18, 19-year-old. I was an idiot. Um, and I was like... Man, I'm going to forget college, man. I'm just going to go and like hang out in the cold in Moscow and uh, tell people about Jesus and be a hipster and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I moved to Moscow and I like raised support and I was living in Moscow uh, doing this kind of year-long mission stint. And while I was in a foreign country as a missionary living on support that I had raised, people giving to me so that I could go and do ministry, all of that, I was 18, 19 years old, man, I doubted everything. I really had this come to Jesus time in my life where, man, I stopped and I was like, man, do I believe any of this? Do I believe any of this? How, how convenient is it? This was, a, this was a big question for me. How convenient is it that, that the, the one true God, the one true path, the one gospel that leads to this life just happens to be the religion that I was born into in Texas? You know, how convenient is that? And, and it really spiraled into a lot of, honestly, really great questions that I think sometimes we're afraid to ask or we don't ask, or we haven't run into that, or maybe you've asked them and you're scared of them, or you, or you feel like, oh, wait, my, there's a healthy way to step into those doubts. And so every time we have those doubts, this is a, this is a, a relationship based on faith. So yes, there's going to be a step of faith. There's going to be a step of faith at some point. And that faith that sometimes, if you are in this room and you are one who wrestles with doubts, don't wrestle alone. Grab other believers who have wrestled with this stuff. If you don't know any, talk to me, and either I'll walk with you or I'll connect you to some other guys who would love to walk with you through some of those doubts and some of those questions. 
But what that step of faith might look like for you is just tiny little baby steps of saying, man, my head, I'm having a hard time putting some of this stuff together. I'm really wondering about this. I've really got big questions. Praise God, that is good. Believers, Christians should not be afraid of that. We should not be afraid of those things. We shouldn't just say, oh, just don't worry about it and just believe. Man, we, belief, belief is the key. But man, continue to build those things. So if that was for you tonight, great. If it wasn't for you, fine. You heard it anyway. Okay, next. Oh, yeah, one thing I want to give you too. Yeah, I'm glad I wrote that on my notes. If, if you are in this room and you think, man, am I really chosen? Am I really here? Am I, am I in this family? I'm not sure if I've really been adopted. You know, for one, there's this comparison game that always happens to that, or we look at our own sin, or we look at our own doubts, and we're like, man, I just don't know. I got an exercise for you. I got a challenge and encouragement for you. Tonight, after my sermon, here in a little bit, uh, one of the songs we're gonna sing, um, there's gonna be a line that repeats in the song. You are, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. My challenge to you, if you're in this room and the Holy Spirit has me speaking to you right now in this moment, that's for you, okay? That's for you. My, you sit or stand or kneel in the back or whatever that looks like, but my challenge is man, pray that. Don't just sing a song off of a screen, but talk to your father and tell him and speak that belief and say, yes, I am. And take those doubts and put them somewhere safe and deal with them and don't ignore them, but then step into this relationship with faith because I believe your heavenly father is going to meet you here tonight. Okay? I believe your heavenly father is gonna meet you here today. So when we get to that point, when you're singing, I am a child of God, I'm, whether you sing it out loud or in your heart, I want you to go there and say, yes, I am. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. <laughs> We've got to believe this. As, as long as we don't believe it, the depth at which we don't believe it is the, is the shallowness in which our life really gets to grow and produce the fruit and the love and the joy and the peace that we're called to live. Okay, let me move on to my second hurdle. And then just applications, and then we're going to worship. My second hurdle is, is not to the person who says, I'm not even sure if I'm in the family, right? I don't know if I believe that, and maybe I'm not chosen. It's to the person who says, yeah, I'm chosen, I get it, I'm in the family, I have accepted Christ. I feel relatively confident that I'm his kid, but the love of Christ just isn't enough, right? It's just not enough. Um, it isn't overwhelming, it isn't that great. It's sure, I put my faith in him, but um, I, I just am not that excited. And there's a callousness there, and there's a coldness there, and I'm not sure what to do with that, but it becomes this hurdle to to worship, and it becomes this hurdle to all of this growth and transformation and lives change that we want and that we desire and that he's praying for. There's a lot of people I know, um, and man, I, I pray that somebody accidentally walked into this room who this is their story, but they said, man, I tried that, and they can think back to their childhood or maybe the season of life where they were walking with Christ, but they're like, you know what? I just, there were other things that were honestly more enticing, and I walked away from the love of Christ because it just wasn't, it was like, yeah, it's fine and all, but I'm just going to do other things. It just wasn't that appealing. Um, <clears throat> that is the Maui airport. Um, if you've ever been to Maui, uh, Maui has a great airport, right? It's kind of small. But the Maui airport is beautiful, right? It's got a lot of concrete and parking lots and runways, obviously, but it's a great place. 
So you land in the Maui airport, and you think, man, this is, this is awesome, cool. You know what's better than the Maui airport? Maui. <laughs> Maui is better than the Maui airport. Way, way better than the airport in Maui. And so, so often what happens in this hurdle is, yeah, I've, I've been there, and I just, I, get, I mean, I get it. I'm loved by Christ. And it's good, and sometimes if they play the right songs in the right key and they hit all their notes, then, then I kind of feel the love of Christ, but it just doesn't, you know, it's not, we're in the airport, man. We're still in the airport. What does Paul say? He's praying for the, he's praying for the breadth and the height and the depth and the length of the, the love of Christ. He's praying for this dimensional love of Christ that's overwhelming, and we're still hanging out in the airport. And thinking, yeah, been here, done that. Maui's, Maui's great. It's got a good views. But man, go and explore the love of Christ with your life. I mean, go and explore. Tonight, explore the love of Christ. Step in with faith and say, God, you want this for me, right? Which he does. This is your will that I would experience your love. So tonight, meet me in this place and, and show me what that looks like. And not just through feelings, but Lord, give, give me some confirmation. Let me open up your word. Let me continue to study this book. Let me continue to hear how you speak. Let me get in community of other people. Let me dig in. Let me explore, right? If we're on Maui, we're going to the beaches and we're going to the ocean and we're checking out the coral and we're going to the mountains and we're visiting the people and we're eating the food. We have a life ahead of us. Our life here on this earth, we get to explore the depth and the height and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ. And we're settling and so if in you and your life or people you know say, yeah, I tried that. It wasn't for me. No, you didn't try it. No, you didn't. I love you. You didn't. I didn't try it. I'm a pastor and I am in the shallow end, it feels like. Man, I, I, I love what God has gotten to show me and the, the things that he's revealed to me and that he draws me near to him. But there is so much more. There's so much more. You meet the Christian that says he's fully arrived, right? Run from him. There's so much more. Explore the height and depth and breadth and length of the love of Christ. Okay, so what will that do? What will that do? Great. We'll do it. We'll step into it. We'll ask with faith, and we'll step into it. What's that going to do? Let me just give you a few examples, because I'm not going to go into every single possible implication. <clears throat> addiction. We'll take addiction, for example. <clears throat> Whatever that looks like, right, whether that's, uh, whether that's addiction in alcohol or drugs or pornography or eating disorders or um, addiction to control or materialism or whatever that looks like, but this, this thing you just have to keep fueling, right? <clears throat> the antidote for addiction is the love of Christ, right? The antidote for addiction is the love of Christ, and here's how that plays out. Addiction at, at the core root level, is I'm still looking for something. I'm still looking for something to fill something, right? I'm still, there's still, there's something broken, something incomplete that I'm using this addiction, right? I'm using this to, to complete or to fill something that, man, I just don't feel fully loved. And so, you know, if, if um, my, my brothers and my friends who really struggle with kind of a cycle of womanizing, right? And they come and they're like, man, I just, I, I cycle from woman to woman and I hate it and I don't like it and I don't enjoy it. I don't like who I'm becoming, right? It's because they're looking for that love and they're looking for that and they're trying to find it in, in women, right? And we, we fill those voids with it or we medicate something that's hurting, right? We're filling the void that the love of Christ says, I am going to fill the depth of the love of Christ is going to fill. We medicate with, with an addiction 
something that the love of Christ says, I want to medicate. I want to be the perfect healer for that. And so it becomes this choice of, Lord, do I believe your way and putting my faith in you as opposed to an instant gratification of, well, I know if I just drink this much, then that pain goes away, at least for now, right? Or I know if I just, if I just um, log on to this website and, and just indulge my flesh here, then maybe a little bit of that, that'll go away, that hurt or that emptiness will go away. And the love of Christ says, I want to step into that. And it also says, you have a foundation that you are loved but we're not walking in it. It says, wait. It says, wait, you're insecure in how I love you, but I love you. It's this picture of adoption. Do you think, do you think the orphan who gets, who gets adopted out of just this horrible orphanage, right? Just this awful, awful place, and it's, you know, just think of the worst possible scenarios, and the family raises money, and they go over there, and they rescue this little baby out of this horrible place and bring him home, and they provided this great home for him. Do you think that baby, when they get older, you know, when they get older and they get high school angstiness, do you think that, I mean, they were loved so much by this, by this family that, I mean, they were so clearly loved, but maybe one day in the high school lunchroom, they're sitting there thinking, man, nobody likes me. I'm not loved. I'm unlovable. I'm unlovable. Sure they do. Well, wait, what about, what about the orphan who's like older, right, who's like eight years old and has lived eight years of his life in a horrible and can remember how bad it is. And then they get, they get removed from that. And, that. and that devastation was near to them and close and a big part of their story, but they really get fought for. And this family, you know, this family does garage sales and they sell a car and they do all they can because that is their son that they have chosen and they're adopting him and they bring him into their household. And then several months later, the son gets disciplined for not cleaning his room and he thinks, man, nobody loves me. Sure he does. Yeah, he does. Even though obviously there's crazy amounts of love and sacrifice and sacrifice and love and pouring into it and pouring into it. And then later the orphan is insecure and forgets how it's loved and thinks, oh man, nobody loves you. Mom and dad, you don't love me. You guys are mean and you're awful. Of course that happens. You know why I know that happens? Because that is me, right? That is you, We've been adopted. We've been adopted. We've been brought in from something awful. We were far off. And our God said, no, man, that's my daughter. That is my son. And he says, no, come. And he goes and he pays the price that he pays for us. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He pays that price and he says, this is my son, this is my daughter, and he brings us in. And now I know myself, and I think, God, what have I been saved from? It's amazing. And yet then I look up, and I think, I'm so insecure in my, my knowledge, and my lack of knowledge of who, how much Christ loves me that I'm chasing after this to fill me when I have the love of Christ that he demonstrated on the cross, and yet I'm insecure in that, and that is a part of the maturing process. And so then we get together when we remind ourselves of that, and we say, man, Man, would I remember, would I see that, would I be fueled with the love of Christ, the love of Christ be the antidote for my addiction. And if you are in addiction, man, I also want you to find support. I want you to rally around other people. I want you to bring it into the light if it's hidden. I want you, there's all kinds of other aspects to that. But at the root level, what I beg more than anything, other than, your, other than this, you're just spinning your wheels, is understanding, stepping into one day at a time how much Christ loves you. 
Now that changes everything. And that changes how you might want to try to medicate or might want to try to fill that hole that says, I'm not lovable. Or maybe, maybe it is just that hurt and grief. That hurt and grief and, and figuring out how do I heal from that. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's loneliness. Let's talk about how the love of Christ steps into loneliness. Right? I, I recognize it's not lost on me who I'm speaking to. And, and as I always get up here and I talk about my wife and I talk about my kids, and I, I recognize that, man, I got brothers and sisters in this room who say, God, I want that, Ben. I'm trying to do this the right way, and I want a wife, and I want a husband, and I'm, I'm doing these things, I think, the right way, or I'm trying to, and that's not happening, and, and so what's going on? And there's this loneliness that seeps in. I get that. That is real. That is valid. It's not dis- I'm not dismissing that. And yet, the breadth and the height and the width and the length of the love of Christ seems for Paul to be enough for all of that. That seems to be enough to say, well, how Christ, how I remember how he loves me, not just at the cross, but now continually. I want to learn and lean into that more and more and more and experience the freedom that comes in that and the confidence that comes in being loved that way. That's transformational. God, would you do that work in me? Would you show me? Would you reveal that? Would you surround me with other people that are reminding me of that? And then, and then you think, really? Another one of those sermons for the single guy, for the single girl. Just be content with Christ. No, I don't want you to be content. I don't want you to be content. I want you to be satisfied. I want you to be satisfied in who Jesus is. And then don't be content. Be satisfied in who Jesus is. And then with that satisfaction, run and chase after the desires of your heart and pray boldly for them right? and, and fight for those. But make it from a place that is, I'm satisfied with the love of Christ. But yes, Lord, I want, I, I want to continue moving. I want to continue growing. I want to continue challenging and stepping into relationships and all of that. Um, the love of Christ. The love of Christ. Lord, would we believe that? Would we see that and be changed by it? Um, the fulfillment for your loneliness is the love of Christ. The solution to our apathy is the love of Christ. That that antidote to addiction is the love of Christ. So next steps, right? What are your next steps? Your next step, right, in this is faith, right? That's what this is about. It is about faith. That's the application that Paul is going, faith. Verse 17, he says it. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do we believe? (laughs) We don't, right? We don't enough. And we look at our life and we think, man, this is not a result of just bad habits, yeah, habits need to change, but there's a root issue of, I don't believe he's enough. I don't believe he's better than these things I'm chasing, these other empty wells I'm trying to drink from. So tonight, pray for faith. Tonight, do not leave this room until you pray for faith. Say, Lord, give me more faith to believe. I mean it. Give me the faith to believe that obedience your way is better than the instant gratification of sin. Give me faith to believe that you are enough in the midst of singleness. Give me faith to believe that you can bring healing more powerfully than any of the other ways I try to medicate my pain. Pray for faith. And I'm going to end on these last verses. Look how Paul ends. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly then all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Blocking and tackling tonight. Simple. 
simple, the depth and the length and the breadth and the width of the love of Christ. For the rest of your life, chase after that. For the rest of your life, walk out of the airport and chase after that and and discover the depth and discover the width and discover how great the love of Christ is and be transformed by it. And if you don't know what that looks like and don't know how to do that, one step after uh, after the other. God, give me the faith to believe. Let me pray. Father, Father, please give us the faith to believe, Lord. Um, You love us, God. You love us. Father, these verses, the end of chapter 3, Lord, as the Apostle Paul's wrapping up his prayer, would they not get lost on us tonight? Would we have ears to hear? Would we have ears to hear the thing that we need to hear most in the entire world? the love of Christ. And would that love of Christ compel us towards freedom and healing and obedience in our life because of how you love us. Lord, we, we need you. Give us faith. Would we, see, would we see your love? Would we see it? Would we not just feel it, but walk in and experience? And then, and then tomorrow morning, when we begin to forget, would you remind us again? Would our prayer always be, Father, give me faith to see your love and believe it and step into it. In the name of Jesus, do this work. Amen.